0: What customer was eating five years ago is completely different now. So you've got to stay
1: sharp on that
0: market front. Because food
1: waste really starts at the farm, and then it finishes at the end of a scraped plate. This
0: is the Food and Beverage Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry. Bringing you education, information, and inspiration. Only on market scale.
1: The workforce is changing, so how do companies adjust if they want to stay productive and profitable? That's the topic for today's Food and Beverage podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk, and today we're sitting down with Frank Pereira, managing partner of Coleman Consulting Group. Frank, thank you so much for joining me.
0: Um, thanks for having me.
1: So uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about you and your background. I mean, Coleman Consulting, international uh, clients throughout various industries. Tell me just a little bit about how you got into this, this uh, line of work and a little bit about yourself.
0: Uh, I, well, first off, I'm a Naval Academy grad. So I went to uh, Naval Academy, uh, graduated Gulf War I vet, ended up moving to California, got my MBA from Berkeley, and I knew I was going to get into consulting, and I actually answered an ad in the paper. I did the informational interviews and sending out a lot of resumes. And like everybody else, I have a pretty strong background. I did well and have, you know, all sorts of good references. But you send out a lot of resumes, and every once in a while you get one, or more often than not, you get them that they say, sorry, there's job-filled or not interested. And I got one back from one of the big consulting companies that said, not only are you not qualified for this job, but you will never be qualified for this job and never reapply, right? Wow. I think they made a mistake in the letter. Uh, my wife was so mad. She she gave me one of these, do they know who you are? Now, of course, I'm nobody, but um, yeah. she uh, got really mad. She says, that's it. You're not doing any more of this interviewing and doing any of that. You're getting a job the way my uh, my dad got a job. I'm like, how's that? In the paper, I'm like, Kate, nobody gets a job from the, in the paper anymore. Well, she opens up the San Francisco Chronicle, consulting engineer. He goes, you want to be a consultant? You're an engineer. This is the job for you. I talked to the hiring manager. The next morning I met with Dr. Richard Coleman, who was the founder of our company. And by the end of the day, I was hired. So I've had two jobs. One is if you talk about qualification, one is as a nuclear engineer in the Navy. And the second one is I've been working at Coleman now for over 25 years, um, helping clients around the world. Um, And we find that a lot of what we do has to do with engineering. I was the first MBA hired, so really my focus was what's the value of looking at at uh, doing things differently? And i was uh, I was able to put numbers to you know, what's the value of uh, running a twelve hour shift instead of an eight hour shift? What's the value of operating on a, a with a Tuesday shutdown? What's the value of interfacing maintenance with operations a little bit different?
1: Well, it's, it's interesting that you went straight into consulting uh, because it seems like at least, you know, traditionally, the skill set that you come out of college, it's not necessarily for consulting. So you had that engineering hat and engineering in the sense of problem solving that that's what you wanted to go into.
0: Yes, ma'am. And I, uh, you know, I know most consultants tend to be people who have worked in an industry for a while, and they've developed a skill set and they developed experience. Then they sell that experience as a, as a consultant. Right. Uh, and but about we have some of those in our company, but uh, the majority of our consultants tend to be uh, either uh, college grads. They worked for a little while, and then they. Um, you know, come to us without a, without a lot of experience. And it helps because we have a little bit different way of doing things. And we're able to get them to think the way that, that we want to think as far as purely uh, numbers. And consulting is very soft. People are a very big part of what we do in process and change management. That takes a, a certain skill set. But uh, on top of that, you have to have, have the ability to look at numbers and to follow the numbers. Uh, the uh, We worked at Great Canadian, which is a large uh, third or fourth largest casino in North America, and uh, when we got done, they said, boy, you guys are the Freakonomics guys, and Freakonomics is that book by uh, Steve, by Levitt, who's the uh, professor from uh, from Chicago that basically looks at the math and lets the math tell the story as opposed to coming up with a story and then creating the math to copy the story and molding, and, and we're all about the math, you know, look at what, what you're actually doing. I've had many people tell me, oh, we've got this huge overtime problem over here, and turns out you don't have an overtime problem you have you know the data shows that you're you know you actually have extra people over here that you're not using why don't we take here why don't we move those around because having extra people kind of is expensive for you and from an employee perspective they don't want to be standing around on a saturday night if they're if they if they're not needed so so we tend to follow the data the data tells the story uh, we're not afraid of the white elephants you go to a lot of companies and you ooh you can't talk about that uh, but we just Tell it like it is, you know, what it's like. And it's all about honesty, about looking at the numbers and seeing if we can come up with win wins out there. What we find is most people deploy their resources, both people, capital, personnel. They they just they just don't do a good job of doing it because they've how have you come up with how people work? You've never gone back and actually looked at the forest. This is that true forest and the trees thing. Most people are inside the um Inside the forest, and they can't—you know—they can't even see the trees. Mm-hmm. So, the uh, a good example of what we do, and, and, and just kind of give your the the listeners a little bit about where we come from is, we all go to restaurants. So, if you go to a restaurant, let's say a dinner restaurant, they're going to need more people on Friday night than let's say Tuesday afternoon. And so, we would go in and look at what data they have. Maybe it's point of sale data: how many customers came in, what they order, um, and then figure out, okay, how many people? You, so, how, what's the work? How many more people do you need on Friday night compared to Tuesday afternoon? And then what kind of people do you need? Do you need cooks? Do we need waiters? Do we need bartenders? What's the what's the right mix? So we come up with a picture of what the workload is, not based on anything like gut feel. Well, that can help a little bit, but what's the data telling us? And then we take the next step, which is let's go ahead and ask people who wants to work. Right. So if you're a dinner restaurant, Friday night's probably a big night. Guess what? If you work Friday, maybe... Maybe there's more incentive. Certainly, tips are probably better. And if you're certainly in the restaurant business, you're, um, you know, we know you know that weekends and Friday nights are going to be high volume. You're going to end up working a lot of yeah. those. Uh, you know, and the last piece is okay. Great, you figure out what people want. You figure it out what the business drivers are. What's that last piece? That last piece is implementation. How do we actually get from here to there? Right. We might all want to work twelve-hour shifts. Why would? Why do I bring up twelve-hour shifts or even ten-hour shifts? Because the single most desired improvement from different work schedules for employees would be more days off. The only way you get more days off for the same paycheck is you work more hours on the days you do work. So with a 10-hour shift, you work an extra two hours a day, you get an extra 50 days off a year. Right? You work four days a week as opposed to five days a week. If you work 12s, that's sort of the maximum you can get to on a regular basis. Now you're looking at working three and a half days a week. Typically you get about half the year off um, for the same paycheck. So you know, if employees are, are looking at something like that, but you're in California, oh my goodness, California labor law says you can't work more than eight hour shifts with that overtime unless you go through this rigmarole of getting approval from the state. Well, how do you do that? And most companies would completely shy away from that. So now, from a business perspective, it makes sense, but the complexity of getting there is too hard. And, uh, and so you just kind of throw it up. And if you're, again, our main competitor is the maitre d' or the owner of that bar they're going to say, you know, this sounds like a great idea. I don't have time to do this because I'm worried about hiring the next person. I'm worried about how am I going to clean the kitchen. I got the health inspectors coming. So I have all these things going on and running my business. I'm not going to go redesign how we're doing things. And by the way, that's really scary. So, So we go in and say is, look, let's figure out what the opportunities are. And we'll handle all the math. We'll handle meeting with employees. We'll collect all the data. We'll make all the you know, we'll do all the work. We need to interface with the state. We'll do that. Now, you're going to have to, as the owner, you're going to have to make decisions. And then it gets significantly more complex. Um, I'll bring my Navy analogy in as, a, as an ex naval officer. If you're in a restaurant, how people work, you're kind of like driving a speedboat. You can go left real easy, and if that doesn't work, you can go right. You can spin around. You can do whatever you want. You're with 400 people in a, in a, uh, a manufacturing plant. You decide you want to do something different. If you start turning left, it's like the battleship. It's very, very difficult to turn right um, because, you know, everything's very slow. There's all the change management is really, really hard. And communication with that number of people is really, really hard. Now, the question is, why would anybody go through this? It sounds kind of painful. Well, the big ones today, one of the top items is employee engagement and retention. But traditionally... Uh, It's cost savings and capacity, Mm -hmm. but it's not all about schedule. So, for example, we were working up with uh, Campbell Soup up in Toronto, and there the majority of employees uh, work Monday through Friday. They work, uh, it's a three-shift operation, day, afternoon, night. That's what they were working when we started. And to this day, 95% of them are still on that schedule. But we, did, we made some major changes on how, how they the interfaced, on things like overtime. Uh, vacation was a big issue mm-hmm. as far as how they dealt with peaks and valleys throughout the year. Uh, and changing, which had nothing to do with when people work or not, at least not on the base schedule, saved that company a half a million dollars. So the, the value is there. Now, why do people have a hard time changing? Well, I give you really, I think there's two reasons. One is, we all build up what I call the ball of Band-Aids. And as companies age, they start adding Band-Aids to fix problems. So, you know, we had a problem in the warehouse, so we're gonna make this rule that the warehouse forklift drivers can't do this, poop. We had a problem with overtime on Saturday. Oh, here's another rule. You know, we had a problem 10 years ago with something on a vacation, we made another rule. And pretty soon you get this giant ball of Band-Aids, which people don't even know how to untie right? They don't even have to look at it, and they have to live inside of it, and, and they're experts at managing it, uh, and uh, and the employees are experts in figuring out, you know, the little details of what works for them, and it it's just this creation, and, but often it's the wrong ball of Band-Aids, right? It's why, why are we doing that? Why are we doing things, you know, why do you have extra people here? We don't need it. Well, Frank, that's the way it happens. What do you mean? Well, that's the way it's always been. What? You know, to me, that's, uh, when you tell me, I don't understand, and that's the way it's always been. I, it's like I smell blood in the water, I'm like a shark. you know. And my goal, of course, is not to take money away from you as a company or employees, but I'd love to pay employees more money, but pay them for work they're actually doing. And maybe the company can save money. So I, I mentioned why people hire us. Capacity is one, typically 10 15% increases in capacity. Uh, cost savings is, is definitely the biggest driver internally for us to, to go in. And we, the numbers are... Anywhere from about 11 to 22 percent total labor budget. So if you take your labor, 100 people, and let's say you put all the, let's say it's 200 people, you put everything together. All in, there may be $50,000 a piece, Gosh, you know, may have $100,000 people, but let's say it's $50,000 a piece times 200, you got mm-hmm. a $5 million labor budget, uh, let's say you get 20%, let's say 10% of $5 million labor budget, that's uh, that's a half a million dollars, right? And we typically right. see half million dollar, million dollar savings. And these are not numbers that we're coming up with. These are what the clients are telling us after. How about employees? Yeah. Well, if the employees get to design how they work, they're going to be more engaged and they're going to stick. We're going to see turnover drop dramatically. And we've had 40 to 50% decreases in turnover regularly. Now, if your turnover is very low, if it's two or 3%, we're not going to go down to one or one and a half percent. But certainly if you're in the neighborhood of 15 or 20%, and I've had many managers in America tell me, how can I run a world-class organization with 20% turnover? Well, 20% turnover is becoming more and more the norm out there. Hmm. How do you take care of that? And a lot of it is how people work, and how, they, um, how can we fix the way they work so that it fits in with their lifestyles, they get more time off. And in the past 25 years, I, I think I mentioned before we started, I've, I've worked around the world with literally, I've literally met with tens of thousands of people. And I can tell you clearly that we as a, as a race, the human race has a whole lot more in common than we don't have in common. If you watch the news, you think we're all out to kill each other, right? And it's not true. Most people are good people. And they're all worried about the same thing. Worried about, do I have enough time with my kids? Am I seeing my, can I take my spouse to dinner? Are we, um, you know, am I, uh, my schedule flexible enough? Is it predictable enough? And it's pretty much the same wherever you go. Now, how people deal with that individually is as individual as they're you know, I don't know, 6 billion people or 6 billion different options, right. right? You may want to work more hours on the days you work to get more t- more days off. I don't want to work any more than eight hours. Can I work six hours? Right. So it, again, a lot depends on the individual. So we've surveyed hundreds of thousands of people over the last last 30 years because we the company started almost 10 years before I got in there. So almost 35 years. Um, so we've surveyed over 350,000 people. And these are not just come on in and put it on the computer and anybody can sign up. These are people that we've sat down in a room with and whether we've done a bubble sheet survey or we use clickers now, however we've done it, uh, we've collected typically 100 to 150 questions from them around how they like to work, time off. So I really feel like we can tell you what people like and what they don't like. But again, how they individually, what things they individually like, you you only find out by talking to them, not using averages. Averages don't exist. Right. Average. An average family has two point four kids. I don't know what a point four kid is. Right, yeah. so You got to you got to you got to really go and ask people. You know, I think one of the kind of just examples of getting employees involved is predictability is the big thing that people want. They want to know when they're going to work. Flexibility is great. But predictability is the killer. If you if people don't know when they're going to come to work or here, I'll give you a food and beverage example that I. I won't name names of companies because it's it's a very negative thing, but a lot of people do it. It's not just in food and beverage manufacturing today. So we have as a way to save money, we have decreased inventories around the around the world in different industries. And what that means is now plants have to be more flexible. Okay, that all sounds great. Well what does that mean for the employee? That means for the employee this week we might have to work Saturday, next week we might get kicked out on Thursday.
1: And they have no control over that.
0: Right. And they have no control over that. And I can't tell you how many plants I go to where employees don't find out until Wednesday night, maybe Thursday afternoon, whether they're going to work the weekend. And it's not their choice. You know, it's it sounds great. Everybody can have their own choice. Most people in America don't have the choice. Right. It's we're working this weekend. and come to work now you can take vacation if you want and and we have all sorts of different sharing ways and and maybe the senior people uh, get to beat up on the junior people a little bit so if you're brand new you have to work every weekend um but could you imagine not knowing if you're going to work the weekend until thursday how do you plan your life how do you decide how can you coach your kids team I, I, i hope to be there right how do you do that and then you're you're trying to make ends meet and a lot of people in the country today I mean, things are getting better, but a lot of people don't have a lot of savings. They live almost paycheck to paycheck. And now, guess what? We're only paying you for three days this week because oh, I just didn't have work. But next week, you'll be working the weekend. So maybe you'll make it up. you know. And it's and by the way, we're not sure. We will tell you next Thursday. Uh, and so what I found is, you know, people don't want to... Uh, holidays are, a good example, nobody wants to work Christmas. But I don't mind working Christmas. I mean, I'd rather not work it. But I don't mind working Christmas if you tell me, let's say... A month ahead of time. Better yet, can you tell me in September so I can prepare for it? Um, yeah. But don't tell me Christmas Eve, right? That's just a disaster. And so um, what we find is if we can come up with a system that allows the company to flex, and yeah, employees are going to have to flex, but can we do it in a way where they, we build in more predictability for them, you can actually uh, make employees a whole lot happier. And we have plenty of clients. I mean, I mentioned Tyson, Sargentos, like that. Certainly many of the General Mills plants that we worked in the food industry um, have those have those benefits. Um, and it's it's just really about kind of getting rid of the ball of Band-Aids. Get rid of how you're doing it. This Thursday thing has to change. I know we need to keep inventories tight. We're not going to go back and add inventory. But what can we do to flex the plant where we can make sure that maybe, Shelby, I can guarantee you this weekend. Again, no guarantees except death and taxes. But if you had some kind of, I knew at least once a month I was going to get a couple days off, I can plan that time with my kids. Aww. And then there are, you know, crazy solutions out there that we thought were okay. Um, you know, in, uh, we were talking early about Me- earlier about Mexico. We were working in a, a big uh, electronics plant in Mexico, about 2,000 employees. And they used a strategy, which I, uh, I see everybody use any once in a while, what they call weekend warriors. So they had, uh, nobody wants to work the weekends. So they had half, they were working... Twelve-hour shifts, and the the first half of the company would work uh, the first half of the week—Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday—and kind of half of Thursdays. And the second half of the company would work every weekend. So can you can imagine what kind of employee you're going to get that's going to want to work every weekend. You know, yeah. I mean, people are hungry for the job, but long-term, that's probably not an employee's going to stick with you. They're probably looking for another job. Uh, and I I promise to tell you some stories about um, you know why I've been doing this for 25 years. That that, that plant in, in Monterey. After we, uh, after we made a change, we went back about six months later, and I was walking in this, this big plant, and a couple of uh, ladies came up to me. This, this grandma came up to me and gave a big hug, and she said uh, in Spanish, thank you, thank you, thank you. Before you guys came here. We never, I never saw my grandkids, they didn't even know they had a grandmother. Now I spend Mm -hmm. every other weekend with my grandkids and they have a grandmother and I, and she was crying, right? And it was, and there were four or five stories like that. And we, you know, the the manager said, hey, you can't keep walking out because people want to come and talk to me as opposed to doing work. And I, you know, I've had, I've had forklift drivers. I thought a guy was going to run me down. He saw me on the other side of the plant. He comes, I thought he was mad. He jumps out of the the plant. It was a a plant that I was working with in Ohio, uh, a bottling plant. And uh, same situation, had no idea whether he had weekends or not, and we put him on a schedule where he has an eight-day break once every five weeks. Mm-hmm. And he um, – so I, I thought he was going to kill me. So I thought he was unhappy, but he jumps out of the forklift, and he pulls out – I don't know if you've ever seen these uh, – I thought it was like a cartoon, one of those wallets where you open it up and the pictures, like, fold out. And he's got, like, 50 pictures, and he's like, "Frag, fry, fry. Two weeks ago, I went. I had one of my first break, and I went sharking off the coast of uh, wherever with my with my kids and my grandkids. And he showed me these pictures of you know him and his grandkids. He, he couldn't thank me enough. And uh, you know, and it's I, I can't take credit for it. because I have a great team that that does a lot of work a lot better than me. And um, and but I just love the fact that we're able to bring those kind of changes to people, and that to me that's more important than you know than anything else because it, it's that's my background. My family is uh, from the side of the tracks. So it's not the management side. I'm the first college grad in my family. And, um, you know, I, the people work pretty hard. Can we give them a little bit of time off? Now I get asked a lot about the millennials, Is this right. the millennials, are they changing things, you know? And
1: that was my next question.
0: So the millennials are, I, I think they're changing things, but it's not just for them. So the, the, the question that I pose I, this with managers last last week in terra hot was um do you think grandfathers want to see their grandsons mm-hmm. and i think the answer is yes i think everybody wants a better quality of life i think the millennials are sort of forcing it on us a little bit there may be we've, we've created some problems you know where some of them haven't moved out and started life as fast so maybe they're staying at home and again it depends on the individual right there's there's no such thing as a, uh, you know everybody's individuals but there's a lot that can afford to jump jobs where maybe 10 years ago they couldn't afford to jump jobs. Yes. And if you can't, so maybe there's some that can afford to jump jobs where, um, you know, 10 years ago when people came in at entry level job, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. You're happy to have a job. Uh, I think also companies have made a, um, they've kind of broken the pact with employees. Right. So uh, there's not as much uh, loyalty to the employee just like there's not as much loyalty to the company you know we still see it companies are, are a little bit different but uh, you know my dad got a gold watch when he retired when he left the company uh, you know whatever it was 25 years whatever it was yeah. and um, you know we you don't see people working I mean I'm a rare instance that I've been with a company for 25 years um, it's it's pretty common that people jump you know every couple of years and I, I think there's a there's a problem with that and uh... But it's it's the world we live in, and we just have to work through that world. I, I think we kind of heap a lot of this change on the millennials, and I think that's a that's a little unfair. Um, there is a I was at this plant in Terre Haute, and they were complaining about the fact that uh, you know people are not coming. Mm-hmm. Before, when you had entry-level people coming into the plant, then you had to turn a wrench. Now you get kids that don't know what a right. wrench is, All right? So we need to educate them a little bit. But that's you know that's not a that, I think we've always had that yes. in some ways. Yes. Uh, there's a little bit of, uh, yeah, when I was younger, it was different. Well, I don't know if that's so true. Um, but I do believe the millennials are changing, helping drive us a little bit. And our, our world is demanding you know, more because why should we be suffering every, Right. you know, why should I be suffering every week hoping I'm going to have the weekend when my buddy's got an eight-day break and he's off shark, sharking off the coast of North yeah. Carolina, right? So, um, you know, and if I do that after a little while, my wife's going to tell me, Frank, what are you, crazy? Why don't you go work for that other company? So we're seeing companies are having to get better. Uh, and, you know, in the end, they, you know, we always talk about labor. Um, I think people compete with each other. There is a uh, people, but uh, companies compete with each other. And it's a little mm-hmm. bit of not being the best because I'm not sure what the best means or the, you know, being perfect. Yeah, or right. Know, uh, what do they call it? They call it... Uh, uh, best practices. I don't best practices depend on where you're at. And where your starting point is often. I you know, I can talk about what's worked well at other companies, but you may not be in the same situation as them. So you have to be a little careful about copying best practices. But certainly with um, with engagement of employees and with attraction and retention of good employees, it's the bear in the woods story and uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the bear in the woods story. No. The bear in the woods story is you and I go out hunting and a, uh, a bear jumps out of the woods, uh. and uh, you start running away, and I sit down and put on my sneakers. And you look back, and you go, Frank, you're an idiot. You're never going to outrun the bear. And I look at you and go, Shelby, I don't need to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you. <laughs> right. And the uh, so with hiring, it's sort of the same thing. You have to beat the other person. Now, we spend a lot of time talking about compensation with hiring, right? Well, and I can't tell you how many plants where they have terrible turnover, and the local management team's answer is, we just need to increase the wage by a nickel or a quarter or a dollar, whatever number they think it is. But you look at the, um, and there are plenty of companies that do this. Uh, we have a couple of partners in this world that do sort of the pricing of what the different jobs are in different parts of the country. And you look at the company, and they're paying in the, you know, in the top half or top quartal, and you go, wow, that doesn't, mm-hmm. you think, really think that's going to help? Oh, yeah, yeah, another quarter will definitely do it. It turns out, pay, we know, is a short-term motivator. Now, I think it can be a tremendous demotivator if you're in the bottom quartile. If everybody's paying, getting paid more money, you're gonna get the dregs of the, yes. of the world, right? So you gotta be competitive, for sure. But paying a whole lot more money, you know, we're, if you think about every one of us, you're, as soon as you get a pay raise, it's spent before you really even get the first paycheck, right, I am broke the next paycheck, because we all our expenses increased to our, to our pay. We find is really a long-term motivator for people is time off, is you know their work schedules, their lifestyles. It turns out that mm-hmm. yeah. most people spend at least half, if not more than half, their waking life at work. At least more than half of their time awake at work. Right? You sleep for about a third of the time if you do your eight hours. Uh, you work eight hours a day, but then you have all the time getting ready and getting dressed and maybe there's some overtime. So most people have spent over half their waking hours at work. Yeah. People build their lives around their work and that not, not the work itself, they build their lives around their time off. So time off matters. And it's not just the what days you work and if you work the weekends. It's it's all that little stuff. Like remember the uh, I was talking about Toronto. Toronto, they have the same schedule. They work on Monday through Friday. Yeah, but not really because somebody has to work the weekend. What are those rules? Somebody has to, how do you cover for when, when I go on vacation? That's a big deal, right? And, and those things are, are really important. Uh, and I, I think a, a really good schedule from an employee perspective with all the operational excellence issues around it will be a game changer for companies and we've seen it that's how we get that that reduced uh, reduced turnover and the people that you could hire you know it'll be long-term term sticks and, and you got to be a little careful as you're doing the hiring you got to be careful about um, we see a lot of companies will sacrifice the newbies mm-hmm. for the the more senior workers right we're just gonna we, you know, we give all the bad stuff to the new person. They have no idea if they're working this weekend or maybe they have to work every weekend. And, you know, I used to do that. Well, guess what? They're leaving. And now you're going to have to rehire those guys again. And and what's the cost of hiring somebody? I've heard as much as double their annual salary. I would actually believe that, right? Manufacturing, uh, it depends, again, what your wage is, your industry area. But you're typically looking anywhere yeah. from fifteen to $20,000 a hire.
1: Right. Right.
0: I mean, that's that's a realistic number, unless you're really paying the low wage. Why? Because you got search costs. You got tr- the training cost is unbelievable, right? And um, and so and it's not just the classroom training. It's now I get out on on the on the line and I'm making tires and you know I, if I'm not until a certain point I need to have somebody that I can go to because if, as soon as I work every ten minutes is a problem. Hey Shelby, what am I doing? That's taking time away from your work. So a number like twice my annual salary is not. Yeah. When you start to really think about it, that might be a closer to a number than let's say a ten or twenty thousand dollars, and so turnover can cost you a lot. Now we do need some turnover, right? We want to have a way to get rid of. We've got superstars out there, and we got some people that you want to fire. Don't be afraid. Fire them right you want to make because uh, the people around them probably want to get rid of them too
1: exactly they feel that too great
0: right? and so you need to have a little bit of a churn in there but certainly if it's all the new hires that you're and and they're coming to work they're going to classroom and they get on the line and after a week or two they're done or they never just stop showing up right you got a problem and you need to think about how you're doing things and it it might you know you might say well everybody's working monday through friday great well yeah but what are, what, are, what is, what is the, what's really happening? Not what's the, what you have on paper. You also have to be very careful about who you talk to, right? The, the vocal minority can definitely steer you the wrong way. Um, and if you think most, you know, most managers, I, I love when you talk about uh, like a three shift operation, you know, we, the, who are you talking to? You're talking to the people on day shift, which are the most senior people, so invested. Everything's great. If there's, if somebody's being forced to work the weekend, I can decide to take it or not. I have so much seniority. I can push them around, but I I get it. If I, if I have my plans for this weekend, I'm not working, right? So life's good for me. Oh, how about the night shift? Oh, they're doing fine. I talk to them all the time. And if you're the manager, you probably don't see the night shift people. When you do see them, they're on the way to the car after being there all night. The last thing they want to do is talk to you, exactly. right? And you go out there and try and talk to them. You're kind of disrespecting them. They don't want to talk to you after I've been up all night. You just you you just got into bed. You just had your breakfast. I got to get to bed before the sun comes up because I'm gonna. I got to get some sleep because I got to be back here tonight. And um, you know. And so people always tell me they, they re, you know the only way you know what's going on on the night shift is you go to 11 o'clock, show up at midnight, show up at two in the morning. They'll be happy to talk to you, and you'll you'll learn a whole lot right. from them. Now again, I'm not saying that the the person, the vocal guy during the day, is wrong, but sometimes they are wrong. And we have to be able to look beyond that and see the, see the whole thing. So, Shelby, I have rambled. How's this? <laughs> no, Am I doing good for you? No,
1: you have not rambled because you have covered everything from what chief symptoms are. And that's the, well, that's the way it's always been done. That's often, you said, you know, you start to smell the blood in the water because that's that's the problem there and you've gone all the way from change management and understanding how uh, how people think how what motivates them what demotivates them and then how they are able to how companies are able to change their turnover and change their employees happiness and that's the whole that's the whole point of it
0: That's the whole point absolutely and change process I understand is very hard for managers you know we have- we're lucky enough to have just amazing, we, we call them champions, Coleman champions out there in the industry. Um, turns out that about 85% of our business comes from either uh, going from one plant to another. So you know we go from one Exxon mine to another Exxon mine, one General Mills plant to another General Mills plant, one Land of the Lakes plant to another Land of the Lakes plant. And why? Because we're saving a bunch of money or making employees happier. It's it's not an easy process. It takes, it takes you anywhere from 3 to 4 months. So it it's intense and people get, you know, excited about it. Um, but it's it's an amazing process so people take us from one spot to the other. But the other big source of, of projects for us are these champions that they're successful, they move on to the next company as people don't stick any more, as much anymore and they'll hire us as soon as they get to the get to the next company. Changing the ball of bandage, changing how people work changing operational excellence, all of a sudden now I people are now I'm not no longer buying people there. They want to work there. They walk with a better step. Mm -hmm. They're excited about being part of the company. It doesn't save everything companies that are poorly run still have problems companies that deal with unfairness you still we can't solve everything but certainly if we can get people excited engaged and have them change how they work and it can we can find a win-win solution and the best part is when i go to places where the employees help us design because they do help us design the solutions for them whether it's a, a schedule change whether it's a, a rule change whether it's compliance And and they want to do it because overall, even the employees that are only there for a couple of years, they're committed to making life better for themselves and for the company. You know, and it's amazing. It's so easy to make the employees uh, just listen to them and make them happier.
1: For more insight, visit slash industries to subscribe and find more podcasts, articles, and videos.